Hey Kensington, my name is Justin Warrens and I just want to welcome you here for the July 4th weekend. We hope you are having an incredible time with your family and enjoying the beauty of Michigan. As you are tuning in, we just want to say we're so glad you have joined us. Now next weekend, if you haven't heard the announcement, we are opening up at four out of our five Metro Detroit campuses and you can go online next week uh, to find out details about service times, tickets, as we begin this reopening phase of our campuses. Now, if you have Kensington Kids uh, in your home right now as you're tuning in, you can go to our Kensington Kids Facebook page to find out more resources for this weekend and ways that you can stay engaged. This is the last week of our series of Nehemiah, and today, Danny Cox and myself get to share a little bit more of the story of Nehemiah. But as we've been following along with Nehemiah's story, he's, as he has been bringing this vision that he had with a community that was around him, he faced trials and opposition in the process. And so this next song uh, leads us into today. So Jennifer, take it away. Just a story of some high and lows. Tell me, do you believe in miracles? Standing here before your eyes. I've cried many rivers. I've walked through some pain. I've seen my world crumble. And I carry the shame. But I know somebody that calls me his.
welcome everyone. We are so grateful to be together, Justin and I. In fact, we just realized that today that we have not been this close in four months. Four months, dude. All I see of you in a Zoom call is just this. So I, I didn't even know you had a rest of your body. <laughs> I've just seen your face. But it has been uh, really beautiful to be back together. We're here in Clinton Township Building and we're here with the team. And it just absolutely feels great to listen to that song in this room. The song that speaks to a real truth of Scripture that we're never alone. In fact, that's one of the great promises of Scripture that God says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And many of you watching right now tuned in just to hear that message, just to hear that song and be reminded that you're not alone. And I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what you're feeling, but that is a premise that we want you to hold on to because that's going to speak even into our day today as we move into this last week of the Rebuild series. Yeah. And before we do that, we wanted to take this moment and receive our offering um, because the end of this service is absolutely incredible and we want to mm. sit in that moment. So uh, at this moment, you're going to see on the screen a couple different ways that you can give electronically and uh, you can either text you can go to our app or you can go to our website. And one of the things that I would just uh, encourage you is to download our app. It is an incredible resource for you. It has so many other uh, resources available from discussion guides, from connections to other things happening around Kensington. And so we hope that that is a great experience for you. But what, one thing I just want to say about our offering is one, we're so thankful for the generosity of this community. Uh, your partnership during this season especially has been unbelievable and it's allowed us to have an impact both locally and globally. So we want to say thank you for your partnership and for continuing to do that with us. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Well, like we said, we we're in the last week of this series called Rebuild, where we're looking at the life of Nehemiah. Now, families, you've been watching for weeks now, months now. And so, kids, I want to speak to you for a minute. Uh, we really want you to pay attention to this story, because in this story, there are a lot of different characters. There's a community coming together to do a project, to build something. But there's two in particular that we're going to challenge you on. And we'd love you to draw a picture, to dress up, to take a picture of yourself, to post it on social media. But two of the characters, one that's holding a, a sword and battling, so it's a soldier, and the other one's a trumpet player. Now, just guess which one I would be. The trumpet player all day. All day I all would be day. the trumpet player. <laughs> I would be the trumpet player because I was a musician for, for a whole, you know, for most of my early life. So I would be the trumpet player, and he's got a big job. So pay attention, kids, when we talk about that. But we are in this series, and at this point, Nehemiah is moving into his hometown to restore a wall that has been decimated by war for decades. And he has been called by God to go there and rebuild this wall. And by rebuilding this wall, he's restoring the relationship of God and his people. He's actually bringing safety to a city. He's bringing hope to a city. And so we're going to look at that. And the theme that has been running through all of these weeks has been the word restoration. What does it look like for God's people to be people of restoration because we're really called to be people that build and restore. And so whenever I think about restoration and rebuilding, I always think about a passage in Isaiah. In fact, it's one of my life passages in Isaiah 58. Let me read this to you because it's a vision for the church. It says this, Isaiah 58, if you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. He will strengthen your frame. 
You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. And then pay attention to this, because I hold on to this, not only for myself, but for our church. I dream for this verse 12. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins, will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. As followers of Christ, God's people are called to be people that rebuild, that raise up, that repair, that restore. Now, I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what you think you are called to repair or restore or build up. But God is asking everyone to step in and do that. It may be in your own personal life, maybe in your marriage, your family, your community, your church, around the world. But God has that. And we're going to look at the life of Nehemiah today because God gave him a vision to restore. Literally, he's going to live this scripture out. And he is going to go and rebuild the wall that's been torn down. And he's going to invite the full community to be part of this restoration project. And he's really going to invite everyone, the the Jewish people that were there, the priests, the nobles, the officials, the whole community. It's a communal effort. And it's beautiful what it says in the beginning of Nehemiah because it gives the mindset of that community. It says this in Nehemiah 2. It says the community committed themselves to the common good. And here's what I've always found really interesting. Even when we commit ourselves to the common good, even when we're doing things in the world that are good and rooted in God, guess what? There's another force that presses up against that. And we were talking about this of just a few moments where I've noticed in my life, uh, whenever I set out to do something for good or was a part of something that was trying to pursue the goodness of the kingdom, there's opposition, right? Every time. Every time. And I, I started telling a few stories to you. And, <laughs> and one of those stories was uh, about a trip that I was taking to the, the Middle East with, with a community. And, and then we got delayed. And then I was like, oh, let me tell you this <laughs> other story, right? And it was when I was on a plane trip uh, to another region and we got delayed. So it always has to do with planes. <laughs> so let me tell this third story. Well, we were on a trip back from Haiti with our student ministry community, and we got delayed. <laughs> of course you did. And what happened was, in this moment, we're flying back, and we land in Nashville, and all of a sudden, we've had this incredible week, and, and we get there, and we're, we're excited to get home, and what happens is the entire uh, wall of flights and arrivals turns yellow. And it says delayed across the whole, whole list. And I'm like, oh no, this is not good. We have 20 high school students <laughs> that we have to figure out what to do with. And then about a couple hours later, it all turns red and it says canceled. Mm-hmm. Now, when it was canceled, all of a sudden we kind of flip into the whole, uh, how do we get home? What do we have to do? So we go up to the counter and the person says, I'm sorry, you have to kind of figure this out on your own. <laughs> we have flights that we can send each one of these high school students home on one at a time over the next four days. And there's 20 of them. <laughs> I'm like, this is going to be a terrible phone call home. Hey, parents, I know you entrusted me with your children. But by the way, they're going to go home through these three connection flights and hopefully they make it. (laughs) Yeah, good luck with that. Good luck. Don't worry about your kid. A little opposition. (laughs) So all of a sudden in that moment, we're trying to figure that out. We're trying to figure out bus, 18-hour bus rides and and all this, uh, these different type of plans. And our kids, the students start praying uh, where we had been for 12 hours at that point. And one of the the gate um, attendees there, it comes up to us and go, hey, by the way, I heard you have been incredible. Your, Your team has been joyful. You guys have been able to have this positive attitude in the middle of all of this chaos. He goes, this flight at this gate just got opened and it has space and it's going to the place that you need to go. It's going to your home. (laughs) And if you just give me a sheet of paper 
with 20 names listed on it, you can get on this plane. I never wrote so fast, (laughs) right? And so we get on and you think, oh, that is a beautiful moment. What happened next far exceeded the beauty of it. We get on the plane and the flight attendant's like, hey, we heard your story and what these kids are doing. Can you have them share their story and what they just did on their spring break of serving another community for the entire plane? So one of our students gets on the mic and gets to share the whole story. It's so good. It's unbelievable. And then the entire place erupts in joy. It was awesome. And you were erupting because you didn't have to make the calls. (laughs) Very much so. (laughs) No, exactly. But it is amazing when we step out and do the work of God. There is this opposition that happens. And Nehemiah finds out really quickly, in fact, uh, that when he has, even in the very beginning, when he had this call to go and do this idea, when the leaders in that region heard that Nehemiah was going to do this, they actually started to push back right away. Listen to what it says in Nehemiah 2. Now there's a few leaders, Sambalot, Tobiah, uh, Geshem. These leaders are powerful leaders in this region. And they, this is how their mindset was. Nehemiah 2 says this, It displeased them, these leaders, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. To me, when I read that line, it's heartbreaking. Because here you have someone that's actually being called to people that need help. And you have leaders that are actually pressing up against that and saying, I, I, it displeases me that you actually have a heart for these people and you're going to help them. And it gets worse, actually. As the project starts to build and as Nehemiah actually steps in and starts to build the wall, this, these leaders actually ramp this up and you're going to see a progression. Nehemiah 4. Now, when Sambalot heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged and he mocked the Jews. He said in the presence of his associates and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble jewels doing? Will they restore things? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish it in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, that stone wall they are building, any fox going up on it would just break it down. So here these leaders are, they're trying to break Nehemiah as a leader. They're trying to cause division. They're trying to break the morale of this team that is doing this great work of God. And did you notice the progression that happens? And I've noticed this, that when people start to oppose or you see opposition, the more and the greater the work gets, there's this ramping up, this progression. They went from being displeased to being anger to then rage. Then they started mocking. And then if you read further in the scripture, they started to plot against this. And they started coming up with schemes to really hurt Nehemiah and this work that he had been given by God. Here's something that we want you to hear today. That opposition will always come when you do the work of God. Opposition will always come when you step in and start doing the work of God. And the greater the work, the greater the opposition. Yeah. So here's what I'd ask you. What is your first reaction when people start to come up against you and oppose you, when they start to mock you, when they start to scheme against you? I know for me, the minute that happens, I always want to I come right at right. them. You you know? wanna I want to come absolutely back, opposition with opposition. But what's powerful in Nehemiah, and if you read the book of Nehemiah, you'll learn so many leadership lessons. But this is one that we really want to focus your attention on. What is his reaction? As they do all of that, Nehemiah 4 uh, and 6, you'll hear exactly what Nehemiah did. He said this. This is his first reaction. Hear, O our God. He goes right to prayer. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their taunt 
back on their own heads and give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover their guilt and do not let their sin be blotted out from your sight for they have hurled insults in the face of the builders. The first thing that Nehemiah does, he doesn't battle them. He goes to God. He says, God, would you fight? Would you enter into this battle? But here's the best part to me. He prayed, but then listen to the next line. It says, so we rebuilt the wall. They went right to work. And all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Hmm. And so they prayed, of course. But what did they do? They kept going with the work. Nehemiah knew he was called to do great work. And no matter what was happening, no matter what was being said, they were going to work. The people had a mind to work. They were united. So the first point that we really want you to grab a hold of is this. When opposition comes and when you're doing the work of God, focus on God, not the opposition. Focus on God, not the opposition. You know, in my office, I have a little piece of paper. In fact, we have a picture of it. (laughs) It's a little piece of paper with some scotch tape, and it's right in front of me. Every day I read it, and it was from a friend of mine, Jamie Winship, and it just says this, where the attention goes, the power flows. Hmm. Where the attention goes, the power flows. And every time I look at that, I realize many times when I'm working or in life, and maybe you're like this too, When you get opposed, when you start going through hard times, our attention will go to the opposition. Our attention will go to the problem. And Jamie was always said to me, listen, where your attention goes, the power is going to be there. And Nehemiah, as a leader, knew something so true that you have to keep your focus and your attention on God. You cannot let the opposition take over and have the power What's interesting about that, too, is, is it like so often the thought for me about, okay, focus on God, that means that maybe I'm just more passive and then right. saying, God, take this, uh, and I'm just going to, I'm going to hope that for good luck that you have all of this. Right. But what's so interesting about that is the focusing on God is not passive, but active. Absolutely. It's absolutely active in saying, I'm going to step out. It, we see this as, as Nehemiah continues. It's, it's about joining God in what is happening. So Nehemiah 4.17 says this, Each labored on the work with one hand. Children, listen to this, right? <laughs> with one hand uh, and with the other held a weapon. So in one hand, there's a weapon or a sword. In one hand, they're working. And each of the builders had his sword strapped to his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet hey, was beside me. That's my guy right there. That's your guy, the trumpet. And he's got a big job. Check this out. This yeah, is a right. big job. And, and, and I said to the nobles, the officials, the rest of the people, the work is great, widely spread out, and we are separated far from one another on the wall. But rally to us wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet. Our God will fight for us. It's your guy. That's a guy. And, that, and actually, that's, that actually is a really important thing. Because think about this. I mean, I really would want to be the trumpet player. <laughs> so like, that's how I was when I was a kid. You know, I always played music. So my family would be working and I would play them a song while they worked. They got so angry. But I would love to be this because what they knew was this whole team would be spread out. And whenever you spread out, how does evil work? It divides, it separates, and it conquers. And they knew that when there was a moment of doubt, that they would play the trumpet and we'd all come together and be what? We'd be reminded that God is in this fight. And so they pray and they fight. I love that image of one hand doing work and the other one battling. I like what Tony Evans says. He says that prayer is actually the preamble to action. And so you pray, but you're still actually moving forward. So focus on God. Even when there's opposition, focus on God. 
The second one is fight for unity, not division. You know, it's, what's amazing about this idea of fighting for unity, we just kind of talked about the external opposition that existed in this moment. So when Nehemiah is stepping against the external opposition, there's also an internal opposition that is happening, that Nehemiah is helping fight for unity, not division, in the community. Now, let me share a little bit about uh, chapter 5 of Nehemiah. So in the context of this, Nehemiah was a governor, if you, if you recall, and in his position of power, he had the right or he was able to take money and resources from the entire community to himself and to use for his own joy, his own plunder, his own fun. And and in that moment, Nehemiah, if he was to act like the other governors and leaders before him, would have done that. But Nehemiah knows that his position of power does not mean that he needs to take all of that for himself because he wanted to fight for unity. And if he was going to fight for the unity of the community that was around him, he had to deal with the internal difficulty, the internal opposition that was there. And there was some significant internal opposition. Within the community, Nehemiah chose not to take all of that, that uh, plunder for himself. So he took the position of power and chose to model his life like we see Jesus modeling his life, which is instead of to say, serve me, he said, I have come to serve the community. I have come to fight for unity, not division. Well, in that very moment, there were others who were in power that had that position of power, and they weren't fighting for that. Mm. They were taking the position of power for profit. And so it's so interesting is they took their position and said, I want to profit myself because I am in this role. And, and, and it started to cause division among the community. So while they're experiencing that external opposition, they start feeling this rumble of internal opposition as well. Look at this in Nehemiah 5. It says this, I was very angry, this is Nehemiah speaking, when I heard their outcry and these complaints. After thinking it over, I brought charges against the nobles, these other leaders and the officials. I said to them, you are all taking interest from your own people. And I called the great assembly to deal with them and said to them, as far as we are able, we have, brought, we have bought back our Jewish kindred who have been sold to other nations. These people have been hurt. They've been exiled and, they, and they're bringing them back to, to give them hope, restoration mm -hmm. like we've been talking about. But now you are selling your own kin, your own people who must be, who then be bought back by us. They were silent. The leaders couldn't even respond in this moment mm -hmm. because Nehemiah is bringing this against them and they could not find a word to say. And then Nehemiah says, the thing that you're doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of our God? Should you not focus on our God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies that are around us? Mm. It is, Nehemiah is willing to sacrifice his own comforts, instead of saying, I'm in this position of power and I need more for myself. He sacrifices his own comfort for the collective community's benefit, for the common good. Mm. And by doing that, it gave him a voice into this very moment where he is able to call out the leaders who are doing this because he has been fighting for unity and he has been fighting for the community the entire time. And I know you have a story that kind of speaks into this. Yeah, it's actually what, what it made me think of as you and I were talking was the where, where I see this in our community many times is in our global community yeah. and our global leaders. And one of the ones that I'm really connected to is Ramesh Sapkota, who is our leader in Nepal. And he's fighting back against some of the dark evil of the world, which is the human trafficking world. 
And what I've noticed with him, I've been there three times and we just got back. Actually, we got back just as COVID was starting. So it was a crazy time to come back in the beginning of March. But what we noticed this time is over the years, what Ramesh has really done is as he's rescuing these girls, he's moving into the communities and he's trying to get the leaders, the influencers, the ones with power, mainly men, Mm-hmm. Uh, to really understand how they need to leverage their life. They need to leverage their power, their position, their privilege to help stop this atrocity of human trafficking to these, these poor and vulnerable young women. And so this last time we were there, it was so cool because we had a training. We had a day and a half training where we all sat in a room and there were powerful men in this room and they were there just to learn how they could leverage their life. Mm-hmm. Ones that may have been silent before or even against this movement now are coming together mm-hmm. and learning in the same room. And, and there was a moment where actually one of the young victims shared with this room and you could see men physically just moved. But you mm-hmm. realize that all of a sudden Ramesh and his team has, are starting to put this army of people together and, and actually have them unified to fight against the injustice that's happening right in their community. Well, in, in the beauty of it, as we see in Nehemiah, it's like uh, why I, I, the first time I heard that story, I just had chills. I was yeah. stopped, right? Because you're seeing him go, this is the internal community. Because sometimes right. the people who in this journey, it's their own family, yeah, exactly. right? That, that, have, that have utilized this moment incorrectly. Right. And so, so this vision comes back and and I love I love the vision of Nehemiah to fight for each other when he's calling the people to do that he's saying you're fighting for your brother you're fighting for the families you're fighting for the future of our entire generation when you fight for unity amongst the this desire for power and uh, I love this one writer uh, Miroslav Vlaf I just say it fast because I'm not (laughs) sure if I say it correctly but he said this and he was talking about the holistic impact of about a vision Mm right? And the impact of a holistic community. He said, the whole person in all aspects of his or her life is engaged in fostering human flourishing and serving the common good. Yeah. Like right there's the heartbeat. When we fight for unity, not division, we are fighting for people to flourish. We are fighting for the common good of the community. Involved when he talks about this, he's saying the, the personal, the private life and the public life are interconnected. You cannot separate them. And you see that in the life of Nehemiah because he was willing to fight for unity, not only by the way he lived out his life, but what he called out of the other people around him. He brought people back together. And I, I don't know about you, but for me, when, when I feel like even in my own home, there's a disconnect. Like I was thinking about the internal opposition that happens in my own house. Uh, when Jenny, my wife and I, when, when there's a moment, we have four kids, so it's chaotic, right? <laughs> it's absolutely chaotic. And as, when, when chaos happens, what we end up doing is we end up like having this moment in the middle of the day where we see that something isn't right between us. Like we have to talk about something. Somebody says something a little bit too quick. I'm a little bit frustrated, right? Something happens. And I can't stop thinking about it. The disunity and division that I feel the whole time is overwhelming. Well, what happens is we have to come back and fight for unity in our family, for the flourishing of it. And what ends up happening, it impacts our family and it impacts our family table, it impacts our kids. And Nehemiah 5.17 says this, because this is the beauty of when Nehemiah is pointing people to this vision of the common good and human flourishing. This is the impact. It says, moreover, there were at my table 150 people, 
Jews and officials, the powerful and the powerless mm. are sitting at the table. Besides those who came from us, from the nations around us. Beautiful when you name. fight for unity, the impact of your table expands. The community benefits, not just your home, not just your neighborhood, not just your workplace, but the entire community gets to partake in the power of unity and not division. And what happens is I believe that people begin to discover and experience the powerful, servant-hearted Christ, the Savior who is willing to serve and not be Served. And so that leads us from focusing on God, not opposition, for fighting for unity, not division, into this last one, which is to finish strong with courage, not fear. And that's what we notice with Nehemiah. He really finishes this project strong. He keeps his eyes focused on God. He fights for unity. And then he finishes with courage because he's still getting opposition all the way to the very end. In fact, at this point, it's gotten really tricky. They're scheming and they're plotting and they're trying to get him just at the very tail end of this project. We read about it in Nehemiah 6. It says this, Now when it was reported to Sambalot and Tobiah and to Geshem, the Arab, the, the Arab, and to the rest of our enemies that I had built the wall and that there was no gap left in it, though up until that time I had not set the doors in the gates, Sambalot and Geshem, they sent a message to me saying this, Come and let us meet together in one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. Nehemiah was still connected to God and discerning that this wasn't right. Ono, the plain of Ono was probably about 30 miles. It might have taken an overnight stay. He knew that there was no way that this was going to end well. And so this is one of the most powerful lines in the book of Nehemiah. And so Nehemiah sent messengers to say this to them. I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Say that line. I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. One more time. I'm, I'm doing, doing a great, great work and, and I, I cannot come, come down. down. He says, why should, I, why should the work stop when I leave to come down to you? Now, he, I, I don't think he's being arrogant here. He's just calling it for what it is. When God does, gives you something to do, you don't come down from that work. You don't get lost in the muck and mire, in the pettiness of life, in the opposition. You fight for the things that are of God. And that line is such a powerful line. You can imagine people working with one hand and fighting and Nehemiah saying, I am not coming down. I'm not coming down from my work. It's a powerful image. He was committed to finishing strong. He would not be distracted. In fact, they finished the wall in 52 days. Mm. And when that project was finished, the enemies had a really unique take on what happened. Listen to this. When all our enemies heard about this, that the wall was finished, all the surrounding nations were afraid and they lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of God. Hmm. They actually knew and they were scared. They were saying, we've been opposing God this whole time. They knew that this work was of God. Hmm. It's amazing to me and what's fascinating to me is that wall that Nehemiah built is still there to this day. In fact, they uncovered it. And I don't know in your mind what you think this wall looks like. But we, but, but we want to show you a picture, actually a couple pictures. We'll show you one farther away. And check this out. There's one farther away and then there's one close up. And when I look at this wall, you know what I see? I see imperfections. I see, I can visualize the community of all these people just piecing this wall together. But you know what? That wall brought restoration to God's people, to that city, to the story of God to continue God's work. God has a work for you to do. 
God has a work for our community to do. And Nehemiah teaches that we have to keep our eyes on God, that we have to fight for unity, and that we have to have courage and finish strong. So here's a few questions that we want you to process. Uh, Just a couple, maybe four questions that you can process. The first one is this. What work has God given to you to do that you will rebuild, you will raise up, you will repair, and you will restore? What work is it? Maybe you don't know that. I had, I had someone tell me this. If you don't know the work to do, look around you, see what's broken, and start working. You know, you're going to be able to see it. But what work does God have for you? It might be your own personal work with your kids, with your family, with your community, with your schools. It could be with your church community. It could be with the world. I don't know. But what is God saying to you? What is that work? And then the second question is this. What opposition... Or distraction do you need to surrender to God right now so that you can focus solely on that work? What opposition do you feel or what distraction is happening that is taking you away from that work? The third question is this. Who can you leverage your life for to bring greater unity and community? I want you to think about that. Who can you leverage your life for? Like when Nehemiah was fighting for unity, he was fighting for the community that he was called to lead and and called to this vision that he had been given, the burden that he felt. And I I always wonder for me, it's like, who are the people around me that I am seeing, I am noticing the the brokenness around me that I'm like, I am called to leverage my life for them, to bring about hope and restoration there. The last one is this. What fear are you living in that is robbing you of your courage to complete the work God has placed on your heart? What, what is it that, that you feel that nagging internal opposition that you feel the weight of, that you've been allowing to hold you back from stepping into this, this vision of bringing hope to the community around you, to bring restoration. When I think of it, I'm like, what is the voice that I have in the back of my head when I hear something that's saying, you're not good enough, or you don't have what it takes? What is that fear? Yeah. And then the thing that's beautiful about this, and Nehemiah did this, is he did this in community. Who's the person on that, on that fear that you can walk with, that you can share that with so that you can step into your story that God is inviting you into? And this, this next moment, we want to share a friend of our story, Tamika. Uh, she's sharing her story about how she has felt this burden to, and she's leaned into these very questions and, and because of what God has, has, has spoken to her, because of the burdens she has felt, how she began to live her life differently in the middle of opposition. So check this out. So when I was growing up in Flint, I was the oldest child. And my parents were teenagers when I was born. So I think my mom was 16, my dad was like 19. They typically um, had nine to five jobs. I remember my mom worked at Arby's for a second. Then she was like a nurse aide for a minute. My dad had a lot of different odd and end jobs. You know, it was gang violence around, drugs, drug dealers around. I went to school with quite a few of them. And I just remember like, I don't like this life. You know, I don't want to live this life. I don't want to continue, you know, a life like this. So I have to do something different. Like, what can I do to make sure that when I have children, this won't be their experience? I was interested in the medical field ever since I was about this tall. My mom always joked, and she said that I was very smart, very nerdy. They used to buy me these medical encyclopedias all the time. I was fascinated, you know, at how God can create such a system 
where everything flows and where everything is meant to heal and repair on its own, you know, and how he can sustain life through it. It was just always amazing to me. When I was growing up, Flint, Michigan had four high schools, um, several elementary schools, a lot of, you know, competition between the schools. I was in the, they call it the gifted program. And in the gifted program, they would have us in our own areas, you know, for our learning. Um, but even then, like there was still no guidance and direction as far as college and which college you should go to and how to apply. So I was doing a lot of self-study and I found out it was a particular school in New Orleans that was number two in getting African-Americans in med school. So I was like, hey, I'm going there. You know, so I applied there. Me and my friends had this great plan. And um, I woke up pregnant one day. Um, and so that kind of deterred my path. And it was like, I couldn't leave my child behind because I didn't want to come back and feel like um, I was her sister or her aunt. So I decided to do something different. So I applied to Michigan. When I first started college uh, at University of Michigan, I didn't know what to expect. I found out my education wasn't enough. You know, I went from being a straight A student to I got a C and I like to cry. <laughs> I'm like a C, like how did that happen? It made me feel like, do I belong here? Should I be here? You know, I thought I was the smartest kid walking in campus, but you know, I'm getting like this rude awakening. Am I doing too much? Am I spread too thin? You know, but because of how I'm wired, I know it was what I was created to do. Um, but I, it was important during that time still to make sure I pour into my daughter. You know, to make sure that our relationship is intact, that I'm still able to, you know, let her know who she is, talk to her about her identity, you know, instill that hope in her and not be such a distant parent that she will only see, you know, at the end of the day. So I graduated my undergrad degree in pre-med and then I had to go off to nursing school and then to nurse practitioner school. I started the practice in 2015, my first one in Bloomfield Hills. And I remember when I first started, I was thinking, okay, maybe I can help diabetic patients. So I thought that would be my focus. Once I had this patient come in, and this particular patient, she was like in her 30s. And I did the traditional medicine approach on her. You know, her, her blood sugars were up a little bit, not to the point of diabetes just yet, but almost there. So I just did the standards of care, you know, according to the guidelines, what we do. But after that patient left, it was like the Lord quickened me in my spirit. And I felt like I failed my patient. And I was like, God, why do I feel like I failed my patient? And he was like, you're waiting for her to get sick. Like she doesn't have to be sick. And I was like, okay, <laughs> you know, so, so what do you do about that? And um, that's when he started talking to me about holistic medicine. And he was like, everything pertaining to life and godliness, he's already provided. And I was like, so what did you provide? You know, so he started talking about the leaves of the trees, you know, the, the, the fruit, you know, the ground, the vegetables, like everything that he provided can be used to heal the body because the body was designed to heal itself. So when people's body air off, you know, my job is to get it back to that place of healing where it should be, how God designed it. And then three years into that business, he said, open another practice in Flint. And I'm like, what? Another practice in Flint? Like it took three years to get that first practice to have at least three days full. Because it wasn't like it was an easy feat. But I knew I had a word from the Lord, you know, and because I had that word, I had to pursue. I always loved Nehemiah's story. 
And Nehemiah, you know, was away from his hometown and he was in the palace, <laughs> you know, and um, some friends, brothers coming in, you know, from his town. Hey, how's everything going in Flint? Right. You know, and they're just giving him this report, you know, and then he's feeling his burden like, oh, man, you know, knowing that he himself may not have all the answers but he know he's connected to someone who does, and he's connected to someone that can bring hope, you know, to the hopeless and that can rebuild ruins. And so it's that whole passion. It's like, you know, I don't live in Flint anymore. You know, I live in Lake Orion. You know, I haven't lived in Flint since I've been married, you know, for 20 years. And um, just to hearing about the depravity and everything that's going on in the state, you just getting that burden um, to help, you know, and then taking back what I know of the Lord and what he's shown me to help rebuild my city, to help bring back hope to a hopeless situation, to help bring life, you know, to a lifeless situation, to know that I got one hand with my sword right here and the other hand I'm building. <laughs> you know, um, so that's how it relates because the work of the Lord, when you're coming up against a system, you know, that was meant to destroy your people, um, it's not easy. You're going to have your conflict. You know, you're going to run into obstacles. Nehemiah built the wall. He finished the task. You know, he accomplished the mission. And I can say when I first went and opened the practice up in Flint, the mindsets of the people in Flint were, like I said, hopelessness and despair. They were used to poor treatment. They were used to taking all these drugs. Um, and so I felt like it was an apostolic work that I had to do. I had to go in and that became an obstacle, just uprooting their, their way of thinking, you know, changing their mindsets about life, about themselves, about their health. I mean, today, you know, having patients that are not only getting off of blood pressure medications, diabetes is being reversed. Patients are now open and they're adopting this whole new lifestyle of eating and changing how they eat and eating healthy foods and learning how to read food level uh, labels and they're teaching their children. So now you see whole households health is starting to shift and change around. Seeing the young girls come in, you know, and having me, I'm, I'm being young, you know, um, an African-American and a woman, it gives inspiration to them, you know, so having those conversations about their worth, their value, their identity. I don't resent my upbringing or my past. Um, I thank God for it because I believe, you know, that it helped create me to be the person that I am today. So you think of yourself back as a 10-year-old girl mm -hmm. in Flint. Right. What would you say to that 10-year-old girl today? Ah, uh, you're gonna make me cry. I would tell that 10-year-old girl, that question, but um, I would tell that 10-year-old girl to hold on, you know. Um, your vision will be your reality. Um, don't give up. Don't quit, you know. Just know that the dream and the vision that God has placed in you, it shall happen. That's what I would tell her. What a perfect story to illustrate exactly what we talked about, wasn't it? I mean, gosh, it, Tamika, to me, is a modern-day Nehemiah. And the joy for me is that over the last few weeks, I've actually got to spend a decent amount of time with Tamika over Zoom, of course. But I've learned something amazing about her, that she lived out those principles that we talked about today. 
that she really kept her focus on God. And she really does. In fact, we're in these meetings and we're talking. And if we veer off of God, she just gets quiet. And then, she, and then I'll say to her, hey, what are you thinking? And she's like, just trust God. Just keep your eyes on God. She has her eyes fixed on God. And she will not look at the opposition. That she fights for unity. And that she finishes strong in courage. You can see that in her. And she knows that God is going to use her to be a healing agent, to be a person that actually brings restoration. That's what we're called to do. We are called to do that as individuals. We are called to do that as a community. And so we want to rest in that. And I'm going to challenge you, keep thinking about those questions that we asked. What is God saying to you? What is he whispering to you? What is he whispering to our community? And as we do that, the whole team is going to lead us in artistic thought. And the first one is going to talk about the power of God and how it heals our land. Let's take this in. Yeah. 
rubble all around us and so much work ahead. Our world, country, neighborhood, neighbor needs so much help. My heart is pricked for action. I am ready to be sent forth to rebuild what's been broken, but my hands can only do so much. Not enough, so why even start the enemy mocks yet? I have the heart of Nehemiah and the aid and creativity of so many other hands. Black and white hands, yellow, brown and red hands, young and old hands, all of us threaded by God. One human church dedicated to his purpose, committed to love and restoration. We won't be defeated. God's love will prevail and we'll be unstoppably successful together.
Thank you so much for joining us in this series. I think this song is so powerful as it sends us out with this idea of finishing strong with courage. And so next week, we are coming back. We have the opportunity for you to join us in service or if you're more comfortable staying online, we we are excited for you to be a part of our community either way. And we're gonna talk about a series following the life of Joshua, who is courageous. And he talked about what courage looks like as he remembered some of the things he learned in his past as it propelled him into the future. So we look forward to having you join us next week. God bless you and have a great week.